Welcome to the Polaris Podcast. I'm Jeremy Whitbeck, a partner of the Polaris Wealth Advisory Group. And with me today, I have our Chief Investment Officer and Managing Partner, Jeff Powell. Jeff, it's great to see you. Good to be here. And so, Jeff, uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation today. This is one that I think uh, in some respects is a little bit uh, mystified in the way that uh, we talk about it in financial literature, because it's not something that necessarily a lot of us have ever uh, dabbled with directly. But I'm hoping that with the conversation with you today that we can kind of take away some of the uh, the uh, misconceptions or just the lack of understanding with uh, instruments that are called derivatives. So if you don't mind, Jeff, can you give us just a brief uh, explanation? What is a derivative? Well, it's kind of funny because, uh, as you said, Jeremy, uh, there are a lot of misconceptions about derivatives, uh, about risk and derivatives. A derivative is simply a product that has derived from something else. So, for example, and, and I know that we're going to talk about this in, in a few minutes, but like uh, derivatives can be very risk free uh, a zero coupon treasury, for example, or uh, treasury strips uh, are derivatives of a regular treasury bill or a bond or a note or whatever. But um, but they are, are derived from an original product. So when somebody says a, a derivative. You know, as much as it might have, uh, and it certainly has been dragged through the mud in different points in time in the financial industry, but a derivative is, is nothing more than just a, a offshoot product of original product. Gotcha. And before we get into specifics as to certain types of derivatives, what is the purpose of a derivative? Why would someone potentially use that within their portfolio? Well, I mean, different derivatives have different purposes. I mean, you know, for example, again, we were just talking about treasuries. So you know, there is uh, a thing called a treasury strip. A treasury strip is just all the income from a treasury. So when you hear about uh, clipping coupons, um, people oftentimes think that that's like, okay, I'm going to the Sunday newspaper from days past and finding all the coupons in there. I'm going to clip them out. And I'm going to bring them to the store and spend them. That's not what clipping coupons was originally. That statement is originally from bonds. Bonds. If you bought a bond uh, and it was in an, uh, a certificate form on the outside of the bond, there would actually be uh, coupons. You know, coupon is a form of payment for a loan. And so, you know, when you talk about yields and everything else, of bonds, that's all derived from how much money you're going to get paid. So, what would end up happening is people would cut the coupon send it in, and then we get cash back from sending in that coupon uh, of that bond. So somebody got the idea of saying, okay, well, what if we took all the coupons off? Um, and we get we basically sold the income of this to one person, and then somebody else bought just the appreciation, because if you don't have any income, you've got to discount that investment in order to do that. So, so for one person, they might want the growth pattern of a bond. The other person might want the income of a bond. Uh, so uh, you know, Wall Street came up with the idea of separating those two things. And so uh, in this case, you know, again, the the whole idea behind it is, is one person wants, you know, very little movement in price, and they're going to just take the income, and the other person uh, wants growth from it. So that's that's one way of being able to do it. Uh, other derivatives, you know, what you're really doing uh, with options and futures and and things of that nature which are other types of of um, derivatives is you're basically trying to lock in a future price of an investment that you're making um, and that can be sold that can be bought 
Uh, you can be on both sides of it, depending on length of time. Um, but basically, you're saying, you know, with a with a future, which is, you know, when you hear about what happened last year, for example, with oil, you're basically saying, I'm taking delivery of barrels of oil uh, at a specific time and at a specific price in the future. And that's why they're called futures, is that you're buying them in the future or selling them in the future. You might have, if you're actually an oil company and you want to lock in a price for your oil that you're taking out of the ground, I could sell you the right to buy my oil at a specific price at a, at a specific time. And so it's a way for uh, companies you know, to, to lock in things. You can also play with currency the same way. So if, if I'm doing a lot of business, let's say in Japan, and I'm an American, and I don't want to take a currency risk, I can actually use futures uh, to actually hedge uh, the risk that I'm taking of having uh, the dollar devaluate against the yen, for example, if that were to happen. So uh, there's a lot of different tools that futures play. And they're not out there. I mean, if you're speculating on anything, it doesn't matter if you're talking about options or futures or anything else. Uh, you know, again, if you're speculating, you're gambling. Um, it's just that of, uh, oftentimes with these types of things, because they're leveraged uh, uh, in a lot of ways, then the, your mistakes tend to be bigger and your gains tend to be bigger also. So you get people that are speculating more uh, within that base, which is, I think is really why uh, they have the the negative connotation that they do. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you hit on a great point there that uh, derivatives are oftentimes used for hedging purposes or making your portfolio less risky, or of course you can use it for speculative purposes and make the portfolio more risky. And I think, unfortunately, the media often covers derivatives in the light of the speculative side. That's certainly the more glamorous or sexy side, if you will. Um, but I think what's forgotten is the other half of the equation, though, is that it can be one of the most powerful and effective hedges out there for different instruments and certainly serves a great, uh, a great place in the marketplace to do that. And then the other thing, and I really liked your example of your strips and zero coupon uh, treasuries as an example. Right, the derivatives markets really injected a lot of liquidity and opened up participants that otherwise would not be attracted to certain type of instruments. So, for example, if I'm a project manager and I have a project due in two years, I don't want the income. I just want my value in two years so I can start the project. Right, a zero coupon bond becomes very attractive to me. And so, using uh, stripping off the income, giving it to someone else, and just giving me the zero coupon means now I'm a willing buyer of that bond. Whereas I would, I may not have been earlier. And so that brings greater efficiency into the market, which hopefully also improves returns and prices for participants. So I would say a lot of goods come out of the derivatives market when they're used correctly. Um, Jeff, do you mind if we go through a few uh, more common examples and just kind of explain what they are and how they work with our audience today? Of course. So uh, I think the, the place to start off with are the two more common that are talked about, and that is uh, call and put options. And so, Jeff, what is a call option? Well, it's the ability to buy a particular investment uh, at a particular time in the future. So um, you basically what you're hoping for out of that circumstance is to lock in a price. So let's say that there was a stock that was a $50 stock, and I wanted to speculate upon this. Um, and I thought that that stock was not gonna be at $50, I thought it was gonna be at $70 in two months time. So right now we're at the end of February, so I go out and I buy the 50 calls uh, on XYZ company, um, but I'm gonna buy them uh, with a maturity date that's out at the end of April, for example. 
Um, if that stock goes up and up and up to 70, I now have the right because I've purchased these calls to purchase the stock at 50 from the person that, that sold me those options. So I've automatically got a gain that's built into that. So I may have paid a price. And you know, with an options, there's a thing called time premium. Um, so that is the built-in two-month time period uh, that I uh, that I was paying for. Um, you know, again, the, the time premium uh, will oftentimes vary based upon how volatile the stock is or what is referred to as delta. Uh, so the more volatile a stock is, typically the higher the time premium will, will be that to that instrument because it's much more difficult to predict where it will be in the future. Um, I can also sell the right uh, to, to have, um, you know, to somebody else. So you can be a buyer or a seller of a call. So if I think, you know, I already own XYZ and I'm comfortable with selling the stock at $60 a share, for example, and it's sitting at 50, I can sit there and sell that to you, let's say for a dollar. Um, because it's out of the money, um, meaning that the stock's at 50, I'm selling you the right to buy it at 60. So that's an out of the money call uh, because it's $10 out above where the price was. But I'm giving you the right that if it does go to 70 or 80 or 90, you can buy it at 60. So you're, you're betting that the stock will go up. I'm betting the stock is gonna stay between 50 and $60 a share, and I'm gonna collect that dollar premium. Um, so automatically right now, if the stock does nothing, it stays at 50 for the, the next year, I've just picked up a dollar's worth of income. Uh, and then, you know, two months from now, if it's still below 60 and I want to try to do that again, I can sell for another dollar or something similar to that. So writing covered calls, that's, uh, you know, covered meaning that I already own the underlying investment is actually a fairly risk-free way of being able to play the options marketplace. Now, you do limit your upside uh, in that situation. And so the, the investor should be aware that, Hey, if the stock rages, it goes up to 70 or 80, you got to be comfortable with where you sold it. I sold it at 60 and you can't begrudge the fact that it's gone up more than that. What you really have to be looking at is saying, okay, I took an educated guess at where this thing might go over a short period of time. I collected the income on it. So I'm willing to get out of that stock at $61 because I got a 60 price and I got the dollar from the option. So again, uh, written cover calls. Now a put is the exact opposite. You know, you're basically protecting to downside. So if I bought a put on the same stock, for example, I bought a 50 put, really what I'm expecting is the stock to go down and I can sell it back to the person in the future at $50. So if I own, or let's just say I bought the, the option on XYZ to put the stock back to you at 50 and it drops to 35, you know, I make the difference between the 35 and the 50 uh, because I'm selling it to you at 50, I'm buying it back at seven at $35. So I've picked up that money. Uh, I can also sell that option. Uh, so again, uh, on calls and on puts, you can be a buyer of or a seller of. And basically what you're doing is either trying to protect to the downside or speculate to the upside. Now, one thing to add to all this, Jeremy, which is what we've been talking a lot about is where, you know, it's not riskless, but hedging and protecting. So a written covered call is a great idea uh, for a lot of investors that have a concentrated position. Uh, so is buying puts at times. So let's say you own that XYZ stock and it's coming into earnings season and you're kind of concerned what might happen with that company, but you're not really willing to sell it yet. So what you might want to do is buy, I don't know, 45 puts or 40 puts 
um, and uh, basically buy yourself some insurance that says, hey, if the stock goes below $45 a share, uh, I'm making back a dollar per share in a situation. So I bought insurance, so to speak. So you're playing a, a way of being able to protect your portfolio in a way. Um, and then the last of it is what's called a caller. Now, a caller you got to be very careful with because there are IRS implications. If you if you have a caller that's too close together, uh, basically the IRS calls it a constructive sale. Uh, and will charge you as if you sold the stock, even though you didn't. Uh, so you really need to be working with an advisor when it comes to a lot of this stuff. But what you, imagine if you said, okay, I'm not really sure which direction the stock is going. You know, if, if, you, if you know point blank that your underlying stock is gonna go up, keep it. If you know it's gonna go down, why buy the insurance on it? Why take that 50 to 45 price? Just get rid of it, sell it. You might be able to pick it up at a later price, but if you're not sure, that's where a lot of times options come into play. And so it's uh, the, the common thing with regard to a stock that you have a highly appreciated uh, value in is to sell a call. And with that money that you get from selling the call, you buy a put. And so these become uh, basically, it's called a, uh, a zero cost caller. Uh, so you're actually using the proceeds from selling the right uh, to buy the stock at a future price above it. So let's Make the math simple here. It's a $100 stock. I might sell a 110 call in order to pay for a 90 put. Now, it doesn't always work that way. Again, with uh, time premiums and so on, uh, typically you're going to have to give up a little bit of that upside. So it'll be more like 108 call and a 92 put, or a, I'm sorry, a, a 88 put. So you're getting a little bit more downside and not getting quite as much upside on it. But basically, what you're doing there is saying, hey, I'm okay with this stock price ranging in here. Oftentimes that's used with companies that have higher dividends or something else along those lines. So you can sit there and get the income from it and not really have to worry that you're gonna lose a lot of value uh, on the downside. So it's a way for you to be able to, to actually pay for that insurance by limiting your upside. So a lot of different, op uh, I'm saying options, but a lot of different things that you can do in order to mitigate risk we're not talking about eliminating risk when we use the word mitigate. We're talking about lowering your risk, but there's lots of ways to be able to use uh, you know, these option contracts in order for it to actually benefit the client in the end uh, while taking less risk. Yeah, Jeff, that was a, a great and very thorough um, explanation. And that's the part that I think is very misunderstood is that with options, you can use it to trade away an unknown and lock in a known. So for the example of the call, right, you're trading away unknown upside and in return, you're getting a known cash flow or known income from the option. And the put's the same thing. You're trading a known expense, buying that put, and trading away an unknown potential future loss. And I think when, when understood in that context, um, there's a lot, they're very powerful tools that you can use in combination. And you hit on a few of the more powerful ones like a caller, there's certainly uh, vertical spreads and other things, and so a lot of um, a lot of additional tools that we have in our uh, in our arsenal that can help clients achieve their goals, especially when you're dealing with concentrated portfolios, as you alluded to earlier. So I recognize that not everyone can just sell out of a concentrated portfolio. You may have deep embedded gains, may not be the right tax year, and so forth. And so there are other ways to hedge that risk. To your point, to accomplish the goal and to spread things out to where it makes more sense from. Um, yeah, we, we could spend an hour on the uh, on this uh, or more 
uh, just going through different strategies, you know, straddles and iron condors and butterflies and all sorts of other things. I mean, this is this is options uh, one-on-one, uh, some very, very simple uh, examples of uh, where options are, you know, again, uh, to your point, uh, you know, taking or removing unknowns and, and putting a, a much more powerful situation uh, in our client's hands. So uh, you're 100% correct with that, Jeremy. Yeah, and and Jeff, you you touched on a little bit earlier forwards and futures, um, more specifically futures. They certainly had a lot more uh, uh, talking points in the media recently, and we went through the recent event with oil futures going down into the negatives. And I think this is a good example to really kind of lock in how futures contracts work specifically. Can you walk us through why did oil futures go negative? Why were people actually paying? people to take their futures contracts on a valuable commodity like oil? Because on the surface, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, yeah, I mean, so let's let's go back and just talk about what a future is. I mean, I am uh, if I am a buyer of oil futures, uh, I'm saying that I'm willing to purchase a barrel of oil at a specific price in the future. And you know, when that contract comes up, there's physical delivery of this. So when you hear about wheat futures or, you know, OJ, you know, frozen orange juice and all this other stuff, I mean, they're physically delivering this. So do you want to take in a bushel of wheat? Do you want to take in, you know, barrels of oil? So what ended up happening with the oil market last year is we had, uh, you know, a, a kind of a perfect storm. We had, uh, had already had a huge amount of surplus on hand, which is why oil had been going down in value for, for quite a while. Obviously with the pandemic coming in, uh, people were using less uh, fossil fuels. So the amount of oil and people were still pumping it at the same rate, but the use rate was going down dramatically. And then it got to a point where literally uh, storage facilities were absolutely full. And so when it came to actually the end of the future contract, nobody had a place to put it. And so, uh, yes, people were joking, gosh, I could have bought oil. Somebody could have paid me $40 a barrel to, to, you know, for oil, and I could have just sold it back, and I could have made a bundle on it. Well, yeah, but where were you going to put it? You know, I, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, A, I don't have a swimming pool, so I can't put it in there. B, I don't know what my wife would say if all of a sudden uh, there were a couple thousand barrels of oil sitting in our backyard, let alone my neighbors. So you physically would have had to take delivery of that oil and then figured out how you were going to sell it afterwards. And, and again, selling it in the, uh, in the futures market and then delivering it to somebody afterwards. So it's not as simple as just saying, uh, you know, you're, you're buying and selling. On the date that the, these futures come, and that's where the, the price fluctuation was all over the place. And, and we're literally, I mean, I, I remember being on the phone talking with, with my um, analysts and literally watching it going, you know, down and down and down. And being like, oh my gosh, it's now down below. $20 a barrel, now it's down below 10, now it's, you know, it's basically at two, I mean, and then it went negative, and you're just like, oh my God, I, I cannot believe this is actually happening, well, yeah, it really happened, and it happened for a reason, um, and again, probably not something that we see again in our lifetime, because of kind of the, the perfect storm of what we saw, uh, but that's why there's fluctuation, again, it's a supply-demand thing, um, it, it is, you know, again, a, a commodity, um, and it's only worth what somebody else is willing to pay for it. So that's the reason why it went negative. 
Yeah, so it was really interesting to see, like you, Jeff, I'd never seen anything like it, probably once in a lifetime, but it just goes to show that behind all of these uh, derivative instruments, so there's an actual commodity or an actual stock or an actual underlying security that it's tied to. And so it's important to keep that in mind when you think about these different instruments, because at the end of the day, that's that's what they're, they're uh, priced upon, that's what they're controlling, and that's what you're investing in when you use them. So as always, Jeff, really appreciate your expertise and insights and your explanations were, were great. Um, I really enjoyed the way that you broke these down and helped to demystify some of these subjects that sometimes uh, seem a little bit more confusing and complex than what they really are. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. So and to everyone listening with us, thank you for, uh, for listening. And as always, be happy, be safe and be healthy. Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.